world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. Should you read the the manga first or watch the anime that the manga is based on? Like, what's gonna... And maybe it's different when you're talking about, like, anime versus other forms of adaptation. But to me, it really is just like, just get into it. And afterwards, you're gonna have your opinion about one is better than the other. But I don't think... I don't know that there's a really good way to predict it, frankly. I, I know. The, the, the thing is, at least from what I see in the anime community, which is not... A terribly great community but uh, a lot of people stick to one or the other um you don't it's a very small minority that reads or consumes both so a lot of people are kind of strictly manga readers or strictly anime watchers so there's not a whole lot of conversation other than oh the anime doesn't have this particular scene from the manga this is garbage and that that that's a deal breaker by itself, because it, it is not a completely faithful adaptation. I let go of that, I think, when Lord of the Rings came out. I was like, oh, <laughs> right. You really don't need Tom Bombadil, do you? No. Okay. You really don't need Tom Bombadil. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, right. You have to trim the fat to, like, put it on screen. Okay. Well, I think I think in anime or the anime community, it's not so much of a complaint of like the full experience. I think it's just a case of uh, like elitism. Um, almost certainly, there's a little bit of that, right? Um, it'll be interesting. Speaking of adaptation, um, I'm sorry, this is a little bit weird. But, um, <laughs> Magic: The Gathering <laughs> released a set like a month and a half, two months ago, called The Brothers' War. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because it is a card game adaptation of a Magic the Gathering novel that came out in the early 2000s. And the thing is, I think they did a really good job. And so it'll be really interesting to see what Magic the Gathering does later this year when they are adapting the Lord of the Rings into Magic the Gathering. Huh. Well, I mean, they've also... I mean, not the whole story, right? Because it was just like a little secret layer thing. But, like, how was the adaptation of, of Stranger Things into Magic the Gathering? Okay, that depends on who you ask. I'm asking you, um, buddy. Yeah, okay, so if you ask me, I actually made a YouTube video out of it. I remember. Yeah. I think that it was an excellent adaptation. I thought they were brilliantly designed. I thought the Street Fighter cards were brilliantly designed. Um... I can't really speak to the accuracy of, like, Warhammer 40,000, but there were some Warhammer 40,000 magic cards that were released recently that were really well-received by both the Warhammer community and the magic community. So, I have really high hopes for Lord of the Rings. Warhammer is one of those things where it's like, I, well, I don't, I, I don't have the money to get into Warhammer, but it's one of those, like, ah, yes, that's the threshold, like, I, I don't LARP, and I don't collect Warhammer, so, like, I'm at least not in the deep end of the nerd pool, but, uh, 
Now, Lord of the Rings and the prequels have almost been memed to death. So are the cards going to be like that? Is there going to be a card that's like, toss a dwarf? Or what do your elf eyes see? Or they're taking well, the hobbits to Isengard? Or I was about to say that one. Potatoes. <laughs> yeah. One does not simply walk into Mordor. <laughs> yeah. I just I just imagine one does not simply walk into Mordor. All of your enemies, all of your enemy controlled creatures are tapped. <laughs> if like shadow, what is it like shadow walk? That's like a thing where like some kind of I don't know enough about magic to riff on this. <laughs> well, if you ever want to get into it, um, you will break your Warhammer forty thousand rule. Anyway, <laughs> speaking of um, forced segues, this is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. I lost my train of thought, but we really need to start talking about comics. We've been sitting here chatting for forty minutes. <laughs> uh, speaking of forcing things, I, I hate that. Uh, in, in being your friend in the last uh, six months. Uh, not you haven't forced me, but boy, does it kind of feel like it to respark my love of magic. And I've spent <laughs> a stupid amount of money on magic cards over the last three months. <laughs> Dude, again, I am staring down two boxes of unopened cards. Oh, two boxes? Of... They're Jumpstart. Oh, Jumpstart. Oh my gosh, I love Jumpstart. In theory, because I haven't actually played it. Um, I grew up playing cards. Family loves cards. Regular old, like, cards, you know. Great. Yeah. Yes. So, like, like yeah, the idea of playing cards is fantastic to me. Magic seems interesting. And, like, there's cool art on the cards and, like, you know, the, the theme of it all seems, yeah. It seems like there's no point in jumping in at any point like, because you have to spend uh, insane amounts of money to get good cards and you can try your best and use your adult uh, currency and um, you know disposable income but the the kid who's 13 and has nothing better to do is going to beat you because this is all he does and so uh, what's the point so so Stephen got me so part of the reason how that I got back into magic was because Stephen really kind of introduced me to a format called Commander, mm-hmm. which is kind of the antithesis to the standard uh, format of magic, which is the one that kind of forces you to like constantly buy and cycle through sets. Uh, Commander accepts everything and you have a lot of cards that maybe in standard aren't that good, but in commander they're great because the original premise of Commander is to use all of those extra kind of trash cards that you have and put them in a deck and make some magic out of that. Kind of level the playing field, as it were. Yeah. Okay, okay. Hey, John, if you're really interested in finding out if this game is for you, there are some cheap ways to just play the dang game, <laughs> and you do that before you decide whether you want to spend money on it. Yeah. You could, you could download Magic the Gathering Arena... Uh, and then there are ways to do it that's actually fun. I hate it. Anyway, we're here to talk about comics. You should do that. You can get me talking about magic all night. I've been obsessing recently. But let's talk about comics. Specifically, let's talk about the opposite of magic. Space magic. <laughs> we Boy, are that steering was into John's Star Wars wheelhouse. Yay! Yay! I'm thinking that back to like all of the, the jokes about the feuding fan bases between Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. Maybe that was just a Phineas and Ferb joke. Anyway, we read some Star Wars space comics. Space wizards. And yes. Uh, yeah, we got some space wizards to talk about tonight. And space Where elves. Start? We've, got, we've got 
two weirdly Empire Strikes Back-centric stories. I don't think we did this on purpose, but it kind of happened this mm-hmm. way. Where do we want to start? Do we want to start with the Star Wars Infinities? Uh, sure. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I feel like I feel like that's the one that I don't have as much to, to say about. So I, I, let's I have start. some thoughts on it, but not deep thoughts. My thoughts are pretty shallow. <laughs> shallow thoughts with Aldo Gomez. Um, so we've we've read something from Star Wars Infinities before. Star Wars Infinities uh, is from when the publishing license for Star Wars actually belonged to, I believe, Dark Horse. And they published these sort of what-if stories. What if the events of the movies happened a little bit differently? So we've already read Star Wars Infinities A New Hope, which uh, dealt with the fallout of Luke failing to blow up the Death Star. And now we read Star Wars Infinity's The Empire Strikes Back, which has a very for want of a nail sort of twist on the events of The Empire Strikes Back. For want of a nail, a shoe was lost. For want of a shoe, a tauntaun was lost. And for want of a tauntaun, Han Solo had nothing to cut open to get Luke into the warmth when he was stranded on Hoth. And so Luke winds up dying on Hoth. The last thing Luke experiences before he dies is the vision of Ben Kenobi telling him to go to Dagobah to train as a Jedi Knight. And so Luke is delirious. And when Han finally finds him, Luke's last words to Han are to go to Dagobah to train as a Jedi Knight. And so Han is convinced that this is what Luke wants him to do. So he, the events of Empire play out relatively the same for this first little bit. Hoth is overrun by Imperial forces. The rebels have to flee. Han and Leia escape by floating away in the garbage from the deaths of the Star Destroyer. And then they make their way to Dagobah, where very quickly Han is, is disillusioned of the idea that he is in any way suited to be a Jedi Knight. Yoda however, does take Leia on as his apprentice. And so while Leia and Yoda are training on Dagobah, Han goes off to uh, try to settle his debts with Jabba, uh, winds up getting captured and and thrown in uh, Jabba prison, where he has to fight animals for Jabba's amusement and all of that. Um, Meanwhile, Vader is on the hunt for Luke, and everybody keeps telling him that Luke is dead, Vader is not happy with that news, and just kind of like making his way through all of these different forces, he goes to Cloud City, where Han and Leia stopped briefly to to get some uh, supplies and some help, winds up destroying Cloud City entirely. Eventually, the, everything comes to a head, like Han escapes from... Jabba's palace, Vader learns that uh, the Skywalker that he is looking for is on Dagobah, so he goes to Dagobah and has an epic showdown with Yoda. Uh, Leia and Vader wind up fighting briefly after Vader kills Yoda. Um, Vader reveals, well, I guess Leia actually knows because Yoda tells her that Vader is actually her father, Anakin Skywalker. Um, Leia and Vader fight. Han shows up at the last minute and shoots Vader in the head, and that kills him, and that's the end of the story. What did we all think of Star Wars Infinities, The Empire Strikes Back? Um, you know, interesting twists. 
Um, could have been better. Could have been a lot worse. Um, it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> which is not really high praise. I I understand, the but the praise. it uh, you know I I I read through it very quickly, and um, you know thought it was all right. I I thought like oh finally you know Leia gets like some some. You know, I, nope, I'm not going to say it like that. I was going to say Leia gets some Jedi love, and I'm like, nope, nope, that's not that's not how I wanted to say that. Yikes. Yeah. Um, you know, very quickly, I think she does better than Luke um, in her training. Like, she kind of, you know, is less resistant of it, and, uh, you know, something we don't get to see in the movies, you know, getting your own lightsaber crystal, which I remember from... Like the whatever the YA novels were that I read uh, back in the day, I was like, there was a whole, a whole uh, like book and a half just about you know building lightsabers, and I was like, this is the greatest lore ever. Um, as a kid, you know, <laughs> so getting yeah. a little bit of that space you know, rocks. Like, oh, finally, I needed some space rocks in my space opera. Yeah, I think the overall story was a little weak. I mean, not. I mean, again, we just said it's not terrible, right? It's a little weak. I think it's probably... For me, I think part of the problem is... I think they could have done an extra issue, maybe. I don't know that that would have helped, but they could have. The thing I liked a lot was actually the final issue because I really liked the confrontation between Vader and Yoda. And I thought that was actually like pretty well done. A little weird that suddenly he can fight Vader in his mind palace, but... Whatever, it's the Force. It does whatever you need it to do for the narrative. But I really did like the mind battle where he's fighting him, but Vader isn't actually fighting Yoda. He's fighting, like, the ghosts of his past, right? Which is a really good way to incorporate the prequel trilogies, I guess. It's the it's the best way to incorporate the prequel trilogies. Like, In the flashback. The prequel trilogies themselves, I think... I know that they've been kind of re-examined recently and people are like, they're not as bad as you remember. No, they kind of are. They are. They're, <laughs> they are. they're yes. terribly acted. They're terribly directed. Like, <laughs> yeah, they're bad as movies, as stories. The, the actual plot of those films, uh, not bad. No. And so if you only allude to the events of them, mm-hmm. it's really effective. Yeah. And so I think, I agree that that last issue is really strong and it's frustrating to me because the last issue, like this is... Han's story, and then it's Leia's story, and then it ends being Vader's story, and that's my big complaint. I think with the story as a whole is that it passes there the buck. isn't a strong narrative through line because Han never really gets a character arc. He's told he's going to be a Jedi, then he's told he's not going to be a Jedi, and then he goes off and does something completely unrelated. Mm-hmm. Leia doesn't know her history, then she's told she's going to be a Jedi, and then she becomes a Jedi. There's no tension for any of these characters' arcs. The only real tension is us on us as the readers who know how the story is supposed to play out and seeing it not play out that way, and I don't think that's strong enough to sustain this as a whole. But that last issue, I agree, is pretty fun. Yeah, like, I love that, because he sent me those mind battles with, like, Obi-Wan, right? Not even, like, young Obi-Wan, we're getting, like, the older Obi-Wan... But we get, like, that, you know, we also get Mace Windu in there to do, like, a little, you know, comic cameo. Uh, Like, a few things. And the part I love is towards the end of the fight where he becomes young little kid Anakin again, right? And he's like, I'm afraid. And Yoda tells him, you know, you don't have to be afraid anymore. And then we get that betrayal, right? We get Darth Vader 
you know, striking down Yoda. But like that moment, I was like, "Wow, that's actually that's really strong," because <laughs> yeah. he gets like that that little that whole thing where he's just a scared little kid, right? Who's afraid of losing everything. You get so many arms cut off. Yeah, yeah, just all, all fully limbed, fully limbed, eleven year old child. And then, like, that little betrayal where, like, he looks up still as a little kid, but, like, now his eyes are, like, black and, and red. And it's like, oh, oh, he got you good on that one, Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, really effective, I thought, like, that battle. And I think we could have more of that battle. I think it would have been really well done. I, th- Yeah. I think the other thing I liked a lot, which was a nice little twist, was that it's not Vader who is on Cloud City. It's Boba Fett, and I think it's funny that Boba Fett ends up as a table for Lando Calrissian, <laughs> and then ends up as space dust because uh, Cloud City gets destroyed. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Don't I don't love that plot development, and I should okay. I've been flipping through this issue four since we were talking about it. <laughs> I should say, Vader actually does, I think, have a pretty decent story. He's just not the main character, so for him to have the emotional climax feels a little bit weird. Mm-hmm. But he does have a story. He spends the entire series looking for his son. Mm-hmm. And his last words are, I had, uh, have a daughter. Yeah. And so there is that sort of narrative arc for him of, like, the family. And so that's pretty good. It just isn't who the, the climax should have belonged yeah. to. I think the problem with it is... Not necessarily that it jumps around from like protagonist to protagonist. I think that should have been more intentional. I, th- I agree. Yeah. I think there's a way that you could have done this and have it be really good. Yeah. I think you re- you definitely could have had, you know, the first issue is kind of like a setup issue, right? Whatever. It's everybody starting on the, on the new journey. And then dedicate, you know, issue two to Han or Leia, then the next one to Han, and then the next one to Vader. And that way it actually feels a lot more purposeful, right? And then we follow them from the beginning to end of that issue specifically. But as it is, it does feel like it's just... it does, Like, it's not sure what story it necessarily wants to tell. Like, it wants to tell all these stories, but it's like, well, how do we jump around, right? Like, how do we release a bunch of the, the Nezus on Jabba's palace... Is that really important? No, but it would be cool, though. It's musical chairs with existing storylines and story arcs. And it's, okay, we take the end of Jedi and we stick it into the end of Empire. Um, We, you know, put Leia in Luke's place. We, you know, eliminate Luke altogether. Um, You know, Han gets to, you know, escape and avoid his fate a little bit, you know. And, uh, yeah, we, we see similar scenes kind of... But what if they played out differently? I don't know. I think it, it... I still enjoyed it, even though in the back of my mind I was like, man, it is really leaning heavily on, you know, your love of the series as it was. And, and that little, oh, of this is slightly different, I think is, you know... I, I don't know. I, I notice it and it still works on me, so I'm the, I'm the wrong person yeah. to ask. It's like, I, I, I see that the rabbit was in the hat the whole time, but I still loved the trick. Yeah. I think for me, the thing I like about this one, I like... Th- I like this one more than A New Hope Infinities. Because A New Hope Infinities, you know, branching off point was at the end of the movie. And they do quite a bit with what I felt was not a lot. Because you could tell that they're still trying to get to, quote unquote, the end of the movie. You know, through this different path. And I like that with this one, the branching off point is at the beginning of the Empire Strikes Back film. And so I feel like you have a lot more 
playing room to get quote unquote to the end of the story. Again, I'm I'm not a super big fan that Vader's taken down with just a couple shots when canonically we've seen in the movie that a couple blaster fires should not be anywhere near enough to kill him, but you had to end it in four issues, I get. Before we go any further talking about this, though, I've, I've neglected to mention the creative team. Okay, oh, I just pulled so them up. The story, okay. was, the story was written by Dave Land, with pencils by Davide Fabri, inks by Christian Dallavecchia, colors by Dan Jackson, and letters by Steve Dutro. And I mentioned them in part because I want to compliment the art. I really like the art here. The character designs, the way that, you know, uh, Fabri draws Leia and draws Han, they look enough like Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford that, uh, it, you know, gets across what they're going for. I just happened to flip past his, his drawing of uh, young Hayden Christensen and as, uh, you know, Anakin, and it's really good. Heck, even the, the child Anakin Jake, looks like Jake Lloyd, but they also look like interpretations of those characters. And I think the artwork here is really helped out by the coloring. I love these colors. I think they did a really good job with the faces because it does feel evocative of the actors, but you can tell that they're yes. picking certain aspects to like kind of exaggerate, kind of like, I don't know, a cartoonist. And so they they feel yeah, exactly. yeah they feel recognizable. Like Han Solo still looks like Harrison Ford, even though it's not exact, right? Like he doesn't have like the same square jaw that Harrison Ford has, but like he has that big honker. He has like the chin. Like it still feels like him without it looking without it going into the uncanny valley. And I love how um Darth Vader looks. Like, he looks a little bit more armored. He looks... His armor is definitely a little different than the other, but he looks like he has more mobility. And I think that they're playing off of more of the concept art of Vader in this mm-hmm. than... Just a little yeah. bit. Just enough to make it like, oh, this is not the story that we know and we've seen already a million times, yeah. Just real quick, I want to talk about the coloring again. My favorite thing about the coloring here is... And I think Aldo kind of hit the nail on the head when he talked about how the characters are more cartoon versions of themselves than, like, portraits. The coloring leans into the cartoonishness of this art and helps to accentuate it. So the colors are bright and they pop and it adds this sort of, like, fun uh, vibrancy to uh, a sort of comic that we have often seen land very flatly because they go for the sort of verisimilitude. They don't have that here. It's just, it remembers it's a comic book. It leans into that, has a lot of fun with it. I've got the exact same uh, compliment for the other Star Wars book that we read tonight as well, by the way. I, I like the coloring on both of these books that we've read. Um, one other thing I want to compliment is the covers. Um, especially the fourth issue. But the the... First, like, all the covers are pretty good. Um, the second issue, I think, is really good. It's got Leia in the foreground with a lightsaber and, you know, Han... Or there's someone in Carbonite in the background. We actually eventually realize it's Boba Fett. It's got all the different faces. It's it's really good movie poster. Issue four, though, has just this electric, almost literally, image of Vader, like, 
with his his lightsaber that's this jagged bolt of energy rather than just the solid line. He's got like almost energy lines coming off of him. There's a shadowy Yoda in the background. Uh, that color, the pencils were done by Chris Piccolo. Oh, nice. Thank goodness. I thought I was going crazy. I couldn't find his name, but I was like, that looks just like Chris Piccolo. Okay. Piccolo did covers three and four, I believe. Feels and like one it. One and two were, I believe, by Tony Harris, who is not someone that I know. Oh. But I, I, the covers are all pretty dang good. I also love that Vader's lightsaber, like the actual lightsaber blade, is not like the straight typical clean saber line. It's they like, should have done that more often. Yeah. Yeah, even in the pages of the comic, it's like a fire. It's like a flaming sword. It's so good. I'm just saying that the comics could do a lot to convey emotion through lightsaber art. I'm just saying that's something I don't feel we've tapped into quite enough. <laughs> <laughs> I would agree. This is actually pretty... I don't know. The, the lightsaber fights being the big emotional beats, you know, that's a big selling point in mm-hmm. at least some of the movies. And I don't think we've seen that in the comics. Yeah. Uh, I think in the movies, the closest we've ever really gotten to the lightsabers really evoking the, char- the character emotion has been Kylo Ren's lightsaber. Mm, true, true, true. Yeah, it's yeah, it's messier. It's, it's not as clean. It's, you know... It's fractured. Uh, yeah. It, it needs vents. It's, it's, he's, he's got so much rage that it can't be channeled through the appropriate, you know, channel. It needs vents to let stuff off the side. That's why he's got the little... Uh, Hilts. Hilt thing. Yeah. I don't know what... There's actually a technical term for, for that, honestly. I'm using the word hilt. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, I, th- I think that standout... The standout issue here is definitely four. I think the other issues do well enough. But I think just because of, like, the focus and the actual kind of story happening in, in issue four, I think that was a very smart issue. And honestly, I think I would rather read that one issue by itself. <laughs> I don't disagree. Again, not that the other issues are bad. <laughs> They're just... They're fine. They're fine. They're fine. They're, fine. They're yeah. serviceable. Yeah, there's a couple other things that I do like. A lot of little moments, like when Vader grabs C-3PO and tells him, I am your maker. That was a real good moment that, you know, we never really got in the movies because that wasn't really established lore yet. Yep. But uh, that was a neat little moment. I like that they make fun of the original Millennium Falcon escape where he's like, do you want me to to go into hyperspace into an asteroid field and pretend and hide in a cave? It's like, yeah, that's what you did in the, in the movie. I like that Han is a lot less rapey in this than he is in the <laughs> Well, he's preoccupied with being a Jedi, even though he doesn't believe, and then he's sad about it. Gotta I get do rid of like his death marks, and then he can focus on, uh, you know, wooing Leia, he would call it. I feel so bad for Han in this, because he spends the entirety of, like, the first three issues, uh, or two issues thinking he's going to get trained as a Jedi because that's what his friend, his best friend, second best friend after Chewbacca, told him he needs to do. And it just winds up being wrong. He goofed. Yeah. And I, like, it, it, it this is going back to the criticism that I've already said, unfortunately, but it, I think it really undercuts the story. Mm-hmm. Um, Han's character arc gets shut off right there. Yeah. 
the expectation is he's going to learn to be a Jedi. He's going to learn to, you know, either, you know, overcome his cynicism and accept this, you know, powerful force that operates solely off of faith, or he's going to find a way to exercise his faith through cynicism or something like that. Mm -hmm. He's going to become a Jedi. And that just slams the door. Yeah. Doesn't happen. And you were silly for thinking that's what's going to happen, even though we told you that's what was going to happen. Uh, I, I, it, it bothers me. Not enough to make me, like, hate this book, but it really <laughs> bothers me. I think it makes it a messy affair. Yeah, I think what makes it a little disappointing, too, right, is because he's kind of going through his own personal journey through that, where he's like, well, I don't believe in all the space magic stuff. But my best friend, well, my second best, my dead best friend told me to go do this. And it's his dying words, and I have to go do this. And, you know, as he's going to Dagobah, he is just kind of thinking about, like, well, am I cut out to be this? Like, I don't believe in this stuff. Like, can I do it? And, like, you know, he warms up to the idea. He gets there. He's like, I'm ready to do this. I'm not sure I believe in it, but I'm ready. And it's, yeah. And it's like, eh, hey, no, go. Go do your thing. It, I don't know. Yoda also feels... A little cruel in the way he tells him no. Yeah, he, yeah, he, it, it's out of character for Yoda. Um, yeah. Too, I think Yoda is not like written very in character until that Vader fight. Uh huh. But like, hmm? drop some know, knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen the Leia becomes a Jedi story before, multiple times, multiple incarnations. Like, I, it's it's weird to say that about Star Wars, which really is a story that has you know beginning, middle, and end. There's a long arc to Star Wars, but it's one story for the most part. But we've seen Leia become a Jedi. So this is a story that's supposed to be exploring these, you know, unknown paths the way the story could have gone. We've never seen Han be a Jedi. And that would have been a story that we had never gotten. Um, I understand why it kind of went the way it did. I just feel like it could have been handled differently. Um, and I don't know how you do it with the setup that you've got, where Luke's last words to Han are, you should become a Jedi. There's got to be some way that Han deals with that, and it never happens. And I, I, I really think that holds the story back from being, you know, special. As it is, it's just fine. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I love the, I, Stephen goes on a rant, and then there's a 10 second pause followed by yes. <laughs> That's the <laughs> no, I'm like trying to, I'm trying to like narratively like, yes, it would be good for him to really overcome his, um, you know, previous, you know, misgivings and everything and become a Jedi. But I'm like, Han Solo's not a Jedi. Come on. And like my nerdiness is getting in the way of, you know, what could be interesting narratively. But I, yeah. I just can't, I can't see it. I can't see it. No, he's, I, he's, I can. Yeah. I, I really like the idea of him being a Jedi, as somebody who like doesn't believe in it, especially at like his point in life, kind of seeing what that looks like, I think would be interesting. And maybe like that deserves its own series, like its own mini what if series. The lightsaber uh, which, doesn't fit in his action figure hand; only a blaster does. So I'm sorry. We well, can't that's why it. you make a new action figure. <laughs> <laughs> Impossible. <laughs> you know, it's just more more merchandise for the merchandise machine. But I like the idea of that and then, you know, him probably sticking to his blaster because that's the thing he still trusts. And maybe that's also a plot point is him, you know, learning to trust in his 
Jedi skills, not just his little scoundreling skills or whatever. Or, heck, maybe he tries it and finds it's not for him, and the final battle is, you know, he loses the lightsaber fight, but pulls out a blaster and shoots Vader in the head. Like, I don't know. Yeah. But, it like, there are ways to do it. Yeah. And I think it could be really interesting. And the fact that we didn't get it, even though it was set up, mm-hmm. like, it, if it hadn't been set up, and admittedly it was set up because, you know, the the only way that they could get Leia, Leia to Dagobah was to have Ben appear to Luke and Luke pass the message on to Han in this garbled sort of... Like, I get that. I can see how it took the path that it did. It's just, I just... I feel like there could have been a more elegant way to do that, which maybe having Obi-Wan tell him Leia has to go to Dagobah. Like, just a couple more words or something, right? The dude's on his deathbed. You know, made in the you snow. You gotta know that, Ben. Yeah, he. I mean, he does know. Ben, you gotta know. He knows. You gotta know. I saw the Obi Wan miniseries. He definitely knows. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it is such a. I don't know. It it is such an anti Chekhov's gun. I guess I don't know another way to put it. But <laughs> yeah, it it is just a little disappointing that that is the setup, and it really does feel like that because. I mean, granted, there's a story written by people, so everything kind of happens for a uh, reason, supposedly. But, like, Leia's just as likely to have not gone to Dagobah with, with Han as she was to go to Dagobah with him, right? So, like, if she didn't want to go, then then Han is, uh, guess what, now he's getting trained to be a very crappy Jedi, I guess. Um, <laughs> he could have stayed with the Rebellion. Yeah. Arguably, she should have stayed with the rebellion. Mm-hmm. They just lost a leader. They lost a pretty big leader for three months. What does that do to the military, right, or to the rebellion movement? Is the I leader was, suddenly disappears? I was thinking about that. How long are the events of Empire Strikes Back? Because Luke, he's like training for a while, but for everybody else, it's like one long awful day, and then a couple of days on, uh, you know, in uh, Bespin, like Cloud City, you know? It's, the timeline is funny. Yeah. It is. I, I do appreciate that Leia does pick up on being a Jedi real quickly, though. Because yeah. there's always been, like, this really great argument about how it's the men in the Skywalker family that can't control their emotions. That they're, they're always the ones who are being, like, so tempted by the dark side. And it's like, oh no, I lost my mom, and I'm in love, and now I have to burn down the whole empire because my wife is pregnant. And then Luke is like, oh no, my family got burned, and and uh, you know my dad is evil, and oh no, I'm being tempted by the dark side. I'm real sad. In the meantime, Leia's like, hey, my whole planet uh, got blown up, and I have to lead a rebellion. I don't have time for silly emotions. I have to stay rational, which... You know, considering how the Jedi were in the last years of, you know, the the story, she's the most Jedi of the Skywalkers. <laughs> and so, I don't know, I like that, I don't know that that's hinted at here in any way, shape, or form. Again, they really could have delved a little bit more into her training if they would have dedicated her a whole issue. But, I mean, it does make sense kind of from, like, I don't know, a logic point when you look at the way that Leia is. At no point is she ever tempted by the dark side and she's been dealing with a war for how many years, right? 
she's seen a lot of people, a lot of good people die, and she sent a lot of good people to their death, and, you know, she lives with those consequences, but at no point is she like, maybe we should just nuke a whole, you know, thing. <laughs> like, she never really goes into the dark side, other than, you know, let's blow up the Death Star, which has a bunch of, you know, government contractors, presumably. They, they knew what they were in for. <laughs> <laughs> We, <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> this has been covered. <laughs> yes, it has multiple times they on multiple podcasts. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they could have turned down that job, but they decided to put in air conditioning ducts in the Death Star. Yep. Hey, man, everybody's got to feed a family somewhere. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. There's, I think there's a lot of potential here. Honestly, I think the the only like immediate improvement that I would. I could slash would recommend would have been the individual character focus on each issue. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's like inspired almost, I would say. Yeah. Now I'm going to, I'm going to drop off the podcast cause I'm going to letter, I'm going to pen an email to Marvel comics and be like, let me write a story where Han Solo becomes a Jedi and he's probably not very good at it. <laughs> I would read that. I'm actually kind of curious to see how that would play out. Yeah. Um, but I think we'll have to table that uh, for our other podcast where we make up pitches to send to Marvel Comics that we will never actually send to Marvel Comics. It's time, I think, to talk about, uh, what was it called? Bounty War? War, War of, the, of the, the Bounty Hunters. hunters. Yeah. Oh. War of the Bounty Hunters. We were both wrong. <laughs> Ever so slightly, but wrong. That always makes it fun when you have the title mostly right and you're trying to find it in the app. And you're like, I know it's like, uh, it was War of the... Come on. Yeah. I love my favorite film franchise, which is The the Ring Lord. (laughs) (laughs) The Lord with the Ring. Tangent. (laughs) I, you know how like a year ago, whatever, like Wordle was a thing and there have been offshoots and everything. I still play like daily games like that, and one of them is a movie trivia one where you get a box office weekend, and it says week of you know a date, and then it gives you uh, five movies, the top five movies at the box office, and how much they made that week, and how much they had made overall, and what the studio was, and that's all you get. And then you can pick like tell me who these who the actor was, tell me who the director of this movie was, and then you get you know points deducted from your overall possible, you know, bonus or whatever. And then you try to, you know, you compete. And, my, like, my mom and I send it back and forth, back and forth. We're trying to outsmart each other. Like, okay, sorry, Mom, I didn't do well in this one in the 80s because I was, <laughs> you know, didn't exist. And I, like, am going <laughs> off of memories. And, oh, uh, sorry, son, I, I wasn't in college, you know, obsessed with these movies or whatever. Uh, turns out my Achilles heel is uh, horror movies and getting the right Fast and the Furious movies in the right order because they're all, like, like there's Fast and the Furious, the Tokyo Drift, there's The Fast and The Furious, there's Fast Five, there's Fast... Ni- it's all Hobbs and Shaw thrown in the mm-hmm. mix there. And I forget which one came out in which year because I just... I nothing those yeah. movies. Like, people love them or whatever. I just... I don't care. I don't care. They're like, so good. That's what people say, and I'm like, fine, but, like, it's not enough... Because of how bad, I, I, whatever, I don't know. John, there's there's another one that you should try. I'll send it to you later, but it's one where you get a screen cap from a movie. And oh, yeah, I played that. Have... That's my favorite one. Framed? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, Framed. I yeah. love that one. I'm pretty good I do at think it. it. 
Yeah, I do think I do think it's funny that you mentioned Wordle at the beginning because uh-huh. I was actually doing a Wordle while we we finished. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say a little bit more on topic, but have you ever seen the cut of all nine Star Wars movies played at the same time, overlapped with each other? Uh, yeah, and it hurt my brain, but I love. Yeah, it at it's the not same great. <laughs> it was like, ah, oh, gosh, because they all kind of go in like like start off in space and go into a planet kind of like there's similarities mm-hmm. right but where it starts to like differ then you're like oh gosh my eyes why and it's just it's <laughs> wild but yeah um tough to keep your franchises straight was the point of that tangent like it is uh, <laughs> tough to parse out all the different Star Wars comic adaptations but here we are Star Wars War of the Bounty Hunters um, this is fairly recent, right? This was 20, 2021, I believe. Yeah. And written by Charles Soule. Uh, I believe that's how you pronounce his name. Um, Luke Ross did the pencils and ink. Niraj Menon, Menon did the color. Um, issue three, we get um, Guru FX and Rachel Rosenberg as the colorist. Um, covers by Steve McNiven, McNiven and one of them, Linneal, um, oh, I can't even read my dang writing. I, I took notes, guys. I took notes on purpose because uh-huh. I was like, I wanted to be organized. On purpose? Uh, <laughs> Francis Yu <laughs> and Frank D'Amata. I wanted to, yeah, uh, normally I'm just like, oh yeah, I'll just grab a screen grab and just look at it. And I know that there were slight differences in the creative team. But people I think we've run into before and read before and uh, do a pretty good job here. Um, this is a diff- the difficulty of doing any kind of Star Wars stuff if it's not completely original is how can we insert an interesting story between well-known moments and we, that's what we get here. Um, Han, Sto- Han Solo features heavily here and is not in this. Just his frozen carbonite uh, body is uh, played like a hot potato among all your favorite little uh, side characters in Star Wars. Um, he's stolen by um, parties unknown at the beginning from Boba Fett, and so we kind of center around Boba Fett trying to get him back, and everybody's out to get Boba Fett. Uh, Bounty's been placed on the bounty hunter, and so we find out that Crimson Dawn... Oh, remember them? They were the bad guys in uh, the Solo movie. What? You didn't like the Solo movie? Hmm. You're correct. Yeah. Um, so Kira, Han Solo's a long-lost love, is now head of Crimson Dawn, and they are making a power play by auctioning off the stolen, frozen Han Solo carbonite... Uh, uh, yeah, that's like... I, not a table <laughs> just like they, they're auctioning off on solo and everybody shows up and everybody gets name checked black sun the pikes uh crimson dawn the huts the huts play a big part here and all of the uh sorted group of bounty hunters that are featured in empire strikes back and all of them you know in ones and twos try to get um poor boba fett who's just trying to get his original bounty back so we see even Dr. Afra and her partner Sana. Um, we see Zuckus and four E L O M. I thought it was four Lom. No, it's they spell it out like they do sometimes with C three PO, and that bothers me. Bosk and uh, we see Dangar and who looks like Bill Belichick. I don't know if you know the 
Patriots coach who, like, on the sideline had, like, a hoodie without any sleeves on it. Looked like a hobo, but he's, like, a professional coach. Anyway, it bothers me. I'm a Colts fan. Uh, Valance, who is, like, he looks like a Mr. Fantastic that's also a Terminator. Anyway, um, people who love these bounty hunters and I know all the side character details are hating my guts right now, but I'm just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're name-checking all of the people to give everyone a little, like, oh, look, it's Suckus and Bosk. So everyone shows up to Crimson Dawn's invitation for this big auction. We're going to auction off uh, Han Solo. Everybody knows Han Solo. Everybody loves Han Solo or hates Han Solo or is owed money to from Han Solo. Anyway, so they're all bidding, and the different groups want him. And um, <laughs> uh, Jabba, who shows up with a group of huts, the Hut Council, uh, bids a million credits on him. Which really is weird because it's like he, he was getting him anyway. Um, everyone makes their play for him. But then Vader shows up at the same time as the Empire, uh, the uh, Rebellion shows up. We get um, Leia and Chewie and Lando and, and uh, Luke is out flying his X-Wing. And they want him too. And Vader says, nope, he's mine, I'm taking him. And Kira says, fine, take him, but you still owe us a million credits and they fight, and Kira has some, like, um, uh, adjacent powers to fight Hansa, or to fight Darth Vader. Um, Vader is distracted because Luke shows up in an X-Wing, and that's really what he's after. So he goes off and chases Luke. So he's, you know, Luke is just drawing out Vader. Um, all this time, you know, Boba Fett's getting closer and closer. Um, he uh, confronts and lights Chewie on fire. Um, everyone's trying to get, uh, uh, get the, uh, Carbonite Han Solo. The Empire takes him off and is headed to their, um, Super Star Destroyer, like Vader's ship. And I just blanked on its name. Not important. It's the big Star Destroyer. It's the Executor. The Executor. Thank you. I knew one of you would know that. <laughs> the Huts decide, like, you know, we're going to play the long game, but we also, like, you can't, you can't mess with us. We're the Huts. So they have an armada, and they're going to take out the Star Destroyer, and then everything goes crazy. Everyone's fighting in space, and Boba Fett uh, disables the shuttle and the um, uh, Millennium Falcon, and jettisons um, Han Solo into space and, and gets him. The uh, Crimson Dawn has spies everywhere, and so briefly, the Millennium Falcon, they get him back from the Empire, because people aboard the Empire are working against the Empire and undercover for Crimson Dawn. And um, it ends up, as we know, um, Boba Fett gets Han Solo. Um, Vader is mad that uh, his uh, lieutenants have been distracting him from his fight with um, Skywalker. He decides he needs to go back. He kills all of the huts except Jabba, including the whole highlight of the story, the buff hut, who has an eight-pack, which is disturbing to see, but I think I'm, decide, I'm decided to be a fan of. And we end back where we were going to end anyway, Boba Fett in front of Jabba, demanding payment for bringing Han Solo. Um, what did you guys think? So, super quick, nerdy nitpick correction. Uh, Kira doesn't have any special powers. She is just trained in terrorism. I mean, like, I mean, people who like do yoga have powers. I don't mean powers, powers. No, I, mean, like... I don't. I don't respect people who do yoga. <laughs> <laughs> she has, yeah, no, she's she's well trained in Terrascasi, which is uh, space hand to hand combat, which originates from a dumb PlayStation One video game, which was not very good. 
Neither was Solo, and the a big bulk of this is Crimson Dawn nonsense. Go yeah, ahead. The, the worst <laughs> part about Solo as a movie, Frank, part of the movie franchise, is that I actually really like Kira as a character, and I hate that she comes from that movie. Yeah, it's 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 fine. She's fine. It's fine. I it's, it's just it's Amelia it's Clark. It's yeah. I have no. I liked her as Sarah Connor. I thought she did a great job, and that was a bad movie, which is a real shame. Yeah. But so if you were reading this and you didn't recognize Kira and you thought, boy, she looks like maybe somebody who was in a movie or something in real life, that's why it's Amelia yeah. Clark. That's thank heavens for Wikipedia because I have not seen Solo. <laughs> oh, yeah. don't like it's. I, yeah. <sighs> It, there's some good stuff in there, but and it looks cool, but it's like, hey, hey, we're gonna tell the story about the Kessel Run, and turns out it's stupid, you know, it's just a real shame. Uh, so, so one of the things I like about this, quite a bit, and this is such a, such a weird thing to for me to like. Well, I think in general it's kind of a weird thing to like because we get so many like female superheroes, like people who are strong physically, right? But they always have, like, supermodel, like, noodly arms. I like that Kira, at least on the close-ups, her arms are muscular. Like, she does look like she could throw a punch and not, like, break her own arm, which is yeah. really nice. And we don't see very much of. Yeah, I think there's something to that. Um, and I liked the art, again, in this story. I think the art is quite good. Recently, I got a collection of, like, old fantasy comics from, like, the 70s and 80s, and they have a very particular look to them and a very particular sort of coloring to them, uh, very detailed sort of line work, very bright and poppy, and uh, when I say bright and poppy, I actually mean, like, light, uh, subtle coloring, and I felt like this book looked like one of those old fantasy comics in a very complimentary way. I really liked them. I really liked the way that this book looked. Um, I really wish we had seen the War of the Bounty Hunters. Yeah. Because I think that the War of the Bounty Hunters, like all of the stuff that actually kind of mattered with these characters, I feel like that all took place in a different book. <laughs> like in the tie-ins. So if, if you really wanted to understand the beef between uh, Zuckus and Forlom and Boba Fett, you had to read the other book, which is not the way that these are supposed to go. That always um, happens, though. The, the fights you want to see are the tie-in issues, and the War of the Bounty Hunters is, you know, everybody coming after Boba Fett, but it's kind of the cold open uh, or, like, cutaway fight scene in all of these. Um, you know, he does, you know, some interesting stuff with this guy, Valance, towards the end. Like, they're aligned. Um, Valance is trying to help Solo, and Boba Fett wants to get Solo. And so they, they're they teamed up until they're not. And then, of course, Boba Fett betrays him and, um, you know, hits him with some, um, not thermal detonators, but, like, he's a, he, he, the dude's a cyborg. He's like a cyborg kind of guy, and he messes him up real bad. Um and uh, betrays him, like, right at the moment that it counts, and uh, that was interesting. But, yeah, it's not really War of the Bounty Hunters. It is um, a funny thing happened on the way to drop off Han Solo at Jabba's, 
and oh yeah, there were some bounty hunters involved, but mostly it's like they're building up um, this this future event, Crimson Rain, I think, in the comics by bringing back Kira, um, which that was kind of an interesting part of the movie is that there was this there was this you know criminal organization going on and they were big and bad and scary, and um, you know Han Solo kind of flirted with being involved with them and also outsmarted them. But, uh, I don't know, I, I'm i torn, because, like, this wasn't bad, and, you know, well done as far as the drawing, and I think that they, you know, all of the characters looked like the actors portraying them and everything without being so, like we talked about, you know, the Uncanny Valley, you know, I'm looking at pages of, um, you know, Luke and Leia, and they look like Luke and Leia, but it's not, we have tried to replicate this one frame from the movie so accurately that it doesn't look like a comic character anymore. It's just a bad drawing of a still frame of a film. You know, um, it's a good adaptation in that regard. You know what's interesting to me, though? Is that this story already existed. Yeah. You remember Shadows of the Empire? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that was a story about, you know, Leia and Luke and Lando and Chewie trying to get Han back and Boba Fett kind of eluding them and there's this criminal organization that also gets involved. There they weren't called the Crimson Dawn, they were called like the Black Sun. Um, and this was a whole thing, like there was this novelization that was uh, put out there, there was a video game tie-in, there was this big marketing push It was intended to, I, I had to look it up to remind myself because I thought I was going crazy, but there was this, the, all of these stories came out at the same time as the theatrical re-releases of the star Wars movies when the special editions came out. And so this story, almost this exact story has already been done in the larger star Wars canon. What happened between the events of empire strikes back and return of the Jedi. And the thing is, it's been years since I've read, uh, Shadows of the Empire, so I don't actually remember how well it holds up. This story doesn't hold up at all. Because it's like, Jabba is bidding on Han, even though Jabba was supposed to get Han. Vader comes in and he steals Han back. Why did Vader do that? He literally just gave Han to uh, Boba Fett. Like, none of the characters' motivations really make a ton of sense, I feel like. Or at least not the the characters who are fighting over Han. Boba Fett kind of makes sense. Um, but the story is is focused so... It, it falls into the Boba Fett trap, which is thinking that Boba Fett is cool and therefore showing us a lot of Boba Fett. That's not how you make Boba Fett cool. Boba Fett is cool because we don't know that much about him. Yeah. And, and the more they just have Boba Fett be like, look, I just want my paycheck. I just want my paycheck. That doesn't make him cool. It, it just makes him a stereotypical bounty hunter. I just, yeah, I don't know. Boba Fett should never be the main character. I'm, I, the more I experience of Star Wars, the more convinced I am that less Boba Fett is better. He should be, like, lingering in the background, you know, about to kill somebody, and then the cool moment is where he, like, kills someone you weren't expecting... You know, he should be like a lingering threat, kind of, you know, half hidden in the shadows, but not front and center, you know. Boba Fett should be the boogeyman. Yeah. And I say that because, well, one, I think it's right. But two, uh, 
the way this started, you know, War of the Bounty Hunters, which we never really got like a full war because it was just a war on Bo- Boba. It, I thought this was going to be more of like a John Wick with yeah Boba Fett. Yeah. And I thought it was going to be him trying to go get the thing. And by the end of the series, he was going to have used up like most of his tools and he was going to have to like fight somebody. You know, it's going to be real interesting, right? He was going to, you know, clean himself up a little bit before he goes to, to Jabba's. But like. That's what I thought. And I was like, ooh, John Wick, Boba Fett, like that could actually work, right? And again, that would have really tied into the whole he's the boogeyman and we see why he is the best of the best. And as far as we see, he's not bad, but I still don't feel sold that he's the best of the best when he was so easily stolen from. (laughs) Yeah. It should have been... And we don't really see it play out that much, and it could have been really cool, too. Like that moment in The Mandalorian, the first season, when all of these bad guys, all of them have these little fobs that go off if a bounty is nearby. And that moment when you see this whole room full of bad guys, and every one of them has their little fob go off because the Mandalorian has a bounty placed on his head. So everybody should be coming after him. We don't really get that kind of moment where it's like, oh, crap, you know, it's 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 kind of hinted at where like you know two two like punks in the you know cantina try to pull a gun on him and he kills him immediately it's like all right fine but you know it's mostly just hey we're gonna name check all of these um other bounty hunters but not really i don't know maybe that maybe that's what the tie-in issues are for but we don't that's that's not really part of the story that's just fluff outside of it how you use your tie-ins yeah for an event called war of the bounty hunters yeah you should actually have the war of the bounty hunters in the main event and you use the tie-ins to kind of explore but there's never a war it's just boba fett gets ambushed boba fett gets ambushed boba fett gets ambushed and here's the thing forlom ig88 zookas dengar maybe not dengar bosk um but like all of these bounty hunters the bounty hunters that you see in that one scene in the empire strikes back They are popular characters. They have novels about them. I had the trading cards. Oh, here we go. (laughs) Back in the day, back in the day when I was a kid, I played the Star Wars collectible card game that was put out by Decipher. And I had, I remember Zookus being a pretty good card. I remember IG-88 not being good, but I was also a kid playing the game, so what did I know? Um, But yeah, like, these characters are among, I would say, the strongest visual designs in Star Wars. And they get no real development here in the event that is named after them. And I think that's kind of a disservice. Um, And instead, it's all about Boba Fett, who, as I've already said, is... It's like like the... What is it? It's a Dr. McNinja thing, I think. Where, you know, the more ninjas there are, the less powerful they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The more Boba Fett there is, the less good he is. That's where, like, one or two guys defeats an army of ninjas because, yeah, an army of ninjas is ridiculous. And you root for, like, the one loner dude. Or or weird Danish 80s action star, as it as the case may be. <laughs> I love Dr. Manning just so dang much. That one, that story is really good. I, uh... Uh, But, yeah, anyway, this was a weird one for me. Haven't seen Solo, so I didn't know who this character was supposed to be, who's like the the big reveal at the end of the first issue. Um, I do know all of the bounty hunters, and they didn't get the play that they needed to have. 
all of the stuff with like Luke and Lando and Leia and Chewie does not matter because you know how that's going to end up. Vader's cool, but comics Vader, the the new Star Wars comics Vader, like the Marvel storyline Vader is consistently one of my favorite characters when he pops up. I really like the, the way that Marvel Comics does Vader nowadays, but there's not enough of him, and you will never get me to care about the Huts. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Do not care. The Hut had an eight pack, sir. He was a buff Hut. You've never seen a buff Hut before, but we got a buff Hut. You know what? You know what? He could have had an eight pack. And it could have been, like, red cream soda, like Bark's red cream soda. And he could have even offered me a can, and I'm still not buying what he's selling. Uh, he had an eight-pack. That won me over. I was like, this is so ridiculous that I have to love it. It's like... It's like John, you should, you should probably stay away from gyms then. I feel like <laughs> an easy target for, for a pyramid scheme. No! 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 <laughs> it doesn't belong there. It doesn't belong there. It's like if I were to take a hunk of Play-Doh and put it like, you know, hey, look, I put, I put muscles on this Play-Doh guy. You know, it doesn't belong there. It's so, it's like so dumb that it works. Do huts have abdominal muscles? Do they have abdomen? They that do That dude now. does, yeah. <laughs> yeah. This one you thought it was just a beanbag full of crap with a <laughs> face on it. But no, that guy, that guy uh, does not skip... Uh, uh, you know, middle chunk day. He, core. he makes that's called your core, John. <laughs> not for him, it's not. He's a hut. He has a middle that's chunk. That's his core. People have cores. <laughs> he has middle chunk above the tail. Anyways, anyway, uh, <laughs> let's let's just let John wallow in his thoughts of sexy huts. And uh, I hate that sentence. I, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have much else to add. I I enjoyed it. I do like I do like Hira. I do like that she is kind of the best part of a lot of terrible things about Star Wars, like the solo movie Terrace Kasi. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the need to make a prequel. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> well, it was a it was a long walk to get where we were going anyway with um, you know Han Solo's corpse, but. Um, <laughs> Should we should we rank them? Yeah, surprisingly, two two books about Empire Strikes Back where it kind of feels like Han Solo matters, but not really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are, they were weirdly similar, way more similar than I thought they were going to be when we when we uh, suggested them. Yeah. Honestly, it should have been called like Rise of the Crimson Dawn or something like that. Prelude to because they have an event like I think it's Crimson Rain. This should have been not War of the Bounty Hunters, but Prelude to Crimson Rain. You know, whatever. Something like that. Yeah. Um, currently, we have two hundred and twenty-two stories on our list. That's a nice, nice even number uh, that we're immediately going to throw off now by adding two more stories to our list. Our kind of midpoint for the story has been, and we kind of have to reevaluate this, Star Wars A New Hope manga has been kind of our benchmark of this is a good comic, and everything above this is a good comic that we would recommend to our friends, and everything below this is a... It's it, it's fine to it's bad. Um, but now, like, 
the Star Wars A New Hope manga is currently at number 106, which means it's better than the halfway point of our list. Which is interesting, because I think we like more comics than we've disliked. Um, but, let's talk about these stories. Where do they rank? We've got... Um, where is that Star Wars Infinities? Well, the original script adaptation is at 44... I think that's probably the highest Star Wars. I think... Uh, that's weird that that's the highest Star Wars. Infinities... Sorry, Star Wars Infinities is at 167. Huh. Um, I do think that the first Star Wars Infinities that we... Or the first Star Wars book we read today, uh, The Empire Strikes Back Infinities, I think it's better than the New Hope one. I don't know that it's much better than the New Hope one, but I do think it's better. So I would put it above 167. Um, where is Mary Jane Homecoming? Okay, I would put it at number 151 right below Mary Jane Homecoming. I think we could make a Mary Jane uh, comic where she's, you know, an interesting um, up-and-coming actress slash model slash whatever she does in the comics now and uh, navigating uh, being a woman in a position of power as opposed to a uh, fangirl who just Love Spider-Man. Um, I don't like that manga, Stephen. This is the hill I die on. Uh, I would put it higher, therefore. Uh, but how much higher? I don't know. Oh, boy. I don't know. I'm kind of leaning up to... You said, what, 151? Because that's where... 151 is what I'm thinking. I mean, the client... <sighs> Here's the problem. I keep thinking about that last issue, and I keep thinking about how that last issue is really good. But I yeah. don't think it's good enough to break through Mary Jane Homecoming, actually. I think I'd have to agree. <sighs> that last issue, though, is really good. Yeah. I, like, I, I, you actually kind of brought me around to it even more. Like, I, Yeah, I would agree that that last issue is really good, but I don't think that the other three issues are enough. Yeah, Mary Jane Homecoming is, I think, the cap. Yeah. Sorry. Well, there it is. <laughs> it does not matter what you think, John. We're going this way. There's some freedom in that. There's some freedom in just let it go. All right, all right. All right, Frozen. <laughs> Oddly, I did want to put it above the Disney comic we read, Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, but, you know. So if that is... 151, the Star Wars Infinities Empire Strikes Back. Where does War of the Bounty Hunters go? Oof, that's a really good question. Actually. I'm thinking, un- I mean, definitely under Dark Empire. But how much lower than that? I don't know. What number is Dark Empire? Oh, Dark Empire is, yeah. 164. Vader Down is surprisingly low on the list at this point. Which is... I agreed. It shouldn't be that low. We need to... That means we have to read some more bad comics to fluff it up a little higher, and I don't <laughs> want to do that. I don't want to I, go any worse. Yeah, this definitely goes above Longshot. Well, yeah. And the Portal City of Pan. So I'm... I'm Somewhere between 169 and 164, which I guess that isn't that big of a gap. But that's my range. I don't disagree. 
That's weird, because I actually think of the two books that we read, if you'd asked me yesterday which one I liked better, it would have been War of the Bounty Hunters. But I think you're right. I actually do think that, I don't know, that last issue of the Star Wars Infinities makes it something special yeah. in a way that War of the Bounty Hunters kind of doesn't. And I think that, I, I don't hate your ranking. It's We get some cool moments on War of the Bounty Hunters, but as a, as a story, yeah, the, the payoff is just not as good. Yes, we get Boba Fett jettisoning, you know, Han Solo out of a plane, out of, out of a plane, out of a spaceship into space, and he chases after him. And that's all really cool, and, you know, there's this fight in space and everything like that, but it's, yeah, it's not as, that last issue is really, you know, a narrative, packs a narrative punch. Um, I still, I still like it better than, I forget what happens in Dark Empire, to be honest. I can't remember what goes on. Uh, Luke kind of goes undercover with the Empire. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, going back to that Leia thing I said, he got real tempted by the dark side for a minute there. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I feel, like, I feel like there's something to be said about the Force and Jedis and toxic masculinity. Oh, absolutely. I'm pretty sure... Uh... Pop culture detective. Yes, that's what I was kind of sort of alluding to. Which, if you haven't seen that, really well done uh, video essay. Highly recommend it. That channel does not upload enough. No. They are so good. No, my they are so my good. regular upload channel is uh, the Cinema Therapy. There's, I think they upload like oh, yeah. twice a week. And that's They do twice a week. I think it's Tuesdays and Fridays. Yeah, and um, that gets me through the week. Yeah. Thank heavens for Magic the Gathering YouTube. Otherwise, I would have anyway. anyway, so I'm looking at the list here, and yeah, I think Original Sin might be better than War of the Bounty Hunters. Mm-hmm. But I would rather read War of the Bounty Hunters than uh, Cadaverous. That was a real bummer of a Spider-Man story that J.J. Abrams wrote. J.J. Um, Abrams and so, his son. Oh. Oh, that's right. That It's... That real bummer of a Spider-Man story. Ah, that makes me feel bad. But yeah, I think I would rather read this than Cadaver. Yeah, so I would put it at 166 if it were me. That's fine I, with me. Yeah, I think that's close enough to the ballpark that I'm okay with that. Okay. Yeah, I think Original Sin is weirdly like... I could go either way on Original Sin. And it um, depends on the day of the week, honestly. Yeah. So let's put it there. Number 166. I don't think that's a bad ranking for yeah. it. That's um, kind of the Star Wars neighborhood. We need more good Star Wars comics, or do we? Maybe what we're learning is that Star Wars as a comic is not as compelling because the Star Wars books don't tend to do super. I think part of the problem is they're so inundated with lore, right? Like a lot of the a lot of them are such such a like a fan service thing, which isn't terrible. But like when that's all, most of your comics are doing. It's not great. I, I, well, what did we say was the highest ranked one? Was it not like uh, Afro or something like that? I I was going to ask, because I think that's the next Star Wars we read is Dr. Afro because that is an interesting character to me and is separate enough from the main story that it's interesting. You know? Yeah. We've read some Star Wars Afro. We yeah, have, Afro but... Yeah, 59, yeah. 59? Okay, that's not as bad. That's not so bad. So, so the that is... Highest. Yeah. That's the second highest Star Wars, I think. I wish that... These comics would turn it. You know how Jaws became a better movie because of the limitations of 
the, you know, they couldn't get the shark to work, so they had to spend more time doing other things. So what ends up is that you you don't see the shark until the very end, and it builds the tension so much better, and it's a great movie for it. I wish that the creative restraints of having to cram in a story right in the middle of the action in Empire Strikes Back or between movies or whatever would turn into that kind of a thing. And it becomes more of a, oh, we can't set anything up, so everything has to be status quo by the end of it. And that's kind of what happened in War of the Bounty Hunters, you know, like... Yeah, Han still ends up with Jabba in the end, but we're gonna mess with it in the middle. Um, I I wish that you know if you're if you have to you know stick to the Skywalker storyline, um, and do your comic in the middle of everything else going on, that it was, you know, creatively liberating to have these very tight constraints as opposed to, um, you know, not daring to go outside the lines at all. You know, that's why I think we should read Doctor Aphra because, um, you know, she's a separate character from that. It's. Um, yeah, it's kind of like the Mandalorian where it takes place around the time, but it's yeah, it's, such, it's such not such so tied. Thing. Yeah, and like yeah, it it makes things like the chicken walkers were ridiculous in in Jedi, and and Ewoks took them down. And the Mandalorian, there's one chicken walker out in the uh, you know the ATST out in the uh, woods, and this whole village is like oh crap, and it's like super scary, and you know it was, <laughs> has like red eyes, you know, and all this stuff, yeah. and you're like oh right, these things that we take for granted in the Star Wars movies and real, you know, this real people, uh, it's scary, you know. Yeah. So I think there's a a way to do it to make, you know, the things that we like about the movies. Yeah, it kind of reminds me a little bit as well of like the Clone Wars cartoon, which granted they had a lot more breathing room, right? Because the Clone Wars took several years so there's a lot of stories that could do i do think it's funny that dave filoni is such a not purist but he's but he's really i guess like respectful of the lore to the point where for like i don't know six and a half seasons he never had anakin fight grievous in that whole cartoon series because when they meet in episode three he he mentions that uh, you know, he'd be taller than they than they expected. <laughs> huh. Yeah. I I didn't I did not notice that the whole time, but I was like, oh I think he's like respectful of like of the heart of it while also Yeah. I think he knows. Like he's you He know, gets it. He get he gets what works and what doesn't. Yeah, I think I think he's really I don't want to say respectful of the lore, he's really respectful of like the facts, I guess it would be most the best way to put it. Because he really gets like the heart of a lot of a lot of that and like Dave Filoni's breakdown on Duel of the Fates is a really fantastic breakdown of like what that battle actually means for people who was not that very obvious to uh that one of those being me <laughs> <laughs> um well speaking of things that aren't going to be obvious to people unless they are us Oh, man, the Segway game is just off tonight. Anyway, we got to talk about what we're reading for next time. Uh, we decided to visit a couple of characters that we haven't spent a lot of time with. And so we're going to start with a story that kind of features Blade and the vampire side of uh, Marvel Comics, but in a more focused way than we've really dealt with before. And that's going to be the 2004 Tomb of Dracula miniseries. Uh, we also wanted to revisit Ironheart, and I'm not going to lie, part of that has been because I took a brief hiatus from Marvel Snap, and now I'm back in Marvel Snap, and Ironheart performed really well for me for a little bit there. So, yeah, we're going to read some Ironheart. Uh, she had a 2018 series, 
and we're going to read the first story arc from that, issues one through five. I think it might be the first series that actually featured her name. Uh, so yeah, that'll be fun to to get back to. And yeah, I think that's it uh, for comics. So John, how interested are you in getting into Magic the Gathering? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> how much is this going to cost me? <laughs> as much as you wanted to, but not free. No! <laughs>